I'm Dermot Hussey. Welcome to Riffin Radio, the podcast. It's a collection of interviews with artists from various genres, spanning three decades and giving more context to the music we love. I'm Dermot Hussey. Welcome to the podcast Riffin Radio and part one of a three-part history of Motown, beginning with legendary singer, songwriter, producer, and arranger Johnny Bristol, who played a key role at Motown in its successful period, writing hits and producing. I spoke to Johnny Bristol in Jamaica in 1995. You're a singer, a producer, a writer, and a ranger. Which came first? Well, actually, the artist came first because I was singing, uh, doing a lot of things on the road as, as a, uh, you know, a would-be artist. And uh, then I went to uh, <clears throat> sing with a guy, uh, Barry Gordy's sister, Gwen Gordy, and a man named Billy Raquel Davis. And from there, I went with Gwen Gordy and Harvey Fuqua, who was the moon leader of the Moonglows. And I asked Harvey if he would go to Barry Gordy and allow me to produce or be Harvey's co-producer. And he did, and consequently I got a contract, and uh, then the hits followed with Harvey and I doing many, many hits after that. What was it like in those early days, in this incredible music machine that Motown became? I think it was beautiful for any young talent coming up that felt that they had any talent because uh, Mr. Gordy gave us an environment uh, and total freedom to work under without the pressures of needing anything. He gave us music rooms with pianos and tape recorders where we could come in every day and work. And he gave us a studio where he paid the money for the recordings to be done. And he he put the opportunity out there for anyone with talent and anyone with a desire to be someone or be something or creative. And, and those who took advantage of that were successful. He was also a practicing songwriter and had a great deal of insight into production. Was that an incentive, I mean, or was it sometimes a, a difficulty to get around him and his opinions about what should be done? I think he would allow us to go in the studio and let us do what we wanted to do. He, he, he allowed us to express our own individual creativity. But we had meetings, and, and uh, in those meetings, the all other producers and some of the secretaries and some of the people from shipping and various places would come in and judge your product. So we were all able to judge each other's product without being judgmental. And there were no egos flying around or uh, that kind of thing because even the guys who had a record in contention for a release, if they heard something that they knew was better, they would admit it. And I think that that was part of the, the freedom and the creative process that Mr. Gordy created in the environment. You began writing for people like Edwin Starr, Marvin Gaye. It was a diverse group of people. How does a, a writer change gears so many times to fit different personalities? <laughs> well, first of all, you, <clears throat> excuse me, you had a stable of artists that was so versatile and diverse that uh, for me, I got to the point where if I'm writing a song, I could say, oh, wow, this is a Marvin Gaye tune. This is a Tammy Terrell tune. This is a Supreme Smash or whatever the case may be. Because you had those people there and you were familiar with them and, and songs just seemed to fit that in your mind's ear when you created it. You could hear them singing it. 
and you knew that Gladys Knight couldn't sing the song you heard for the Springs and vice versa. So uh, it was a beautiful environment to work under, really. What was your first hit? Uh, Junior Walker and How Sweet It Is. Now, you've been working with singers, the cream of them. How come you developed a relationship with an instrumentalist? I don't know. I, it, it was, uh, you know how the, you hear these guys playing, uh, uh, doing their mouth like musical instruments? Well, I, I had this talent of being able to do a saxophone and be able to express it in my own way, you know, like uh, uh, Al Jarreau does his... But I could take and sit with Junior Walker and I could go, or whatever the case may be, and he would say, okay, I see what you're trying to do, so, but let me see what I can do with it. You know? <laughs> and together, I think, the both of us, uh, I think it just clicked. And we were both guys from the southern parts of our country. And, and there was uh, something built within our spirits, I think, that we could relate to, that the humbleness of where we came from and our background that uh, we felt comfortable with each other. I think that had a lot to do with it. So that was the first kind of extended working association that you had yes. with an artist. Yes. At the, I mean, previously you had been doing like random things for, for various artists. Yes, but Junior was the first hit we had. Then we got uh, uh, Ain't No Mountain High Enough with Marvin and Tammy and uh, Your Precious Love with Marvin and Tammy and If I Could Build My Whole World Around You with them. And... We had a few more things together, like 25 Miles on Edward Star. Uh, I forget some of the others, but it enabled me to go on and, and become in, uh, uh, an independent producer on my own. You know, uh, Harvey went his way and I went mine. Not that we left the company, but we decided that you have things you want to do and you have things you want to do. So uh, go for it, man, and I wish you well, because you deserve to do what you're doing. And, and we, we were able to encourage each other. What is that? formula that makes a hit record? Wow, what a tough question. I think a good song consists of uh, an excellent melody, an excellent hook, a chorus as we call it, or a hook, uh, excellent lyrics, of course, and something that will get to many, many, many people because it's so hard. You can take the song like That's the Way of the World by, by Earth, Wind, and Fire. That song has one verse sang three times. Same verse. But it's, it, it's an unbelievable tune. But you just, you, you either know, you just, something inside you just says, this is the one. You know, and, and you just, it's, it's hard to say because it has everything that pleases your creative self within yourself. And you just, it's like maybe an artist would paint a picture, I don't know, I've never really dealt with it, but he knows when that picture is finished. And if someone else comes and says, y'all put a little tree over there in the corner, he can say, no, 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 that'll spoil the picture. The picture's complete as it is. <laughs> and he doesn't know why, but he knows it wouldn't work. He said, yeah, that, pic that tree looks pretty, but it won't, it, it, it bothers the picture. And, and to me, music is a, is a picture in music that you can play five instruments, and if you add number six, it can mess it up. If you don't know, it doesn't need anymore. And I think that that comes under the, the ability of a producer to know when a song is actually 
finished in its production. It doesn't need anything else. And many guys out there producing don't know that. They don't know when a song is finished. And in 1974, you left Motown. Yes. Why did you leave Motown? <clears throat> well, we tried re uh, to negotiate, you know, a new contract. And, um, you know, we had uh, differences in how, not, not an argument, not a negative thing, but in un as in any negotiations, if you don't agree with each other, you agree that you do disagree. And you can say, hey, you know, I wish you well because you're a nice guy. And let's go have a drink or let's go to dinner. You know, it has nothing to do with a personality, but it's business. And, and uh, I was able to do something that was a little bit frightening, get out on my own, get up, out from under the security of the Motown blanket because everything under Motown was secure. You had everything you needed there. And you had a top ten right away, didn't you? Yes, I did. I was very fortunate with Hang On In That Baby. Yes. Now, did that bring you back into singing, which was where you first began? Yes, it did. As a matter of fact, when I wrote the song, I said to myself, if you're ever going to get back into singing, now is the time because this song is a song that you could go get the guy out of the Ford Motor Department and cut him on it if he can sing, and it will be a hit because of the quality of the song. I just knew that song could be a hit on anyone. And I said, why give it to someone else? Why not me? <laughs> so I did it on me. Okay. You also produce people like Buddy Miles, Buzz Skaggs, right. uh, Johnny Mathis. Tom Jones. Tom Jones. Was that as rewarding as the Motown days? Uh, I can't say it was as rewarding, but it was uh, a tremendous experience to be in the studio with Johnny Mathis, producing him. I mean, because to me, the man is a singer. You know, I'm a stylist. He's a singer. <laughs> and uh, to, to do a Boz Skaggs who wanted to get into the R&B and to cross over, that was a challenge for me. And, and I loved the idea. I liked Boz's style, but they needed someone who could make him cross over. And I, I gave him a foundation, and he came back and produced another album, like Lowdown, which really set him off. Tom Jones, it was like saying, wow, you're here with Tom Jones? You know, my God, you're the first other producer that's ever done him. And then on top of that, you're the first black producer to ever do him. So that was, you know, it, it was a tremendous opportunity in every situation. And Buddy Miles was a thrill because he was like a rock singer, rock R&B, if there's such a thing. And... and I enjoyed working with him, and, and uh, the record is a classic. It's selling for like $25 an album today. They are. Yeah. Which brings me to this question, Johnny. You've made 10 million records. Yeah, at least. How much money have you made? Because there's, a, there, there's this vexed question right now, which is being taken up by the Rhythm and Blues Foundation that mm -hmm. so many of those pioneering artists never really got the royalties that they mm -hmm. were due. Are you one of those as well? I would think that I am <clears throat> because if a record sold for a dollar and I've sold 10 million records, I should have 10 million dollars. And I've never made 10 million dollars. So the facts speak for themselves and to, to try to deny it would make me look stupid and I'm not one to like to make myself look stupid. So I'm sure in there somewhere one could find reason to believe that I did not get 
my $10 million because I have not earned $10 million. Now, the, the Rhythm and Blues Foundation also has legal people that are pursuing this question for, I mean, uh, Mr. Bagel has been doing it for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And Atlantic Records recently made some concessions, but there are a lot yes. of record companies that up to now have not. That's right. Do you think you'll ever see a portion of that money? No. No, I don't. The only way I could, could receive a portion of that money would be if Mr. Gordy woke up one day and said, Johnny Russell's a nice guy, and he did some great work for me. And I don't think he got his financial dues. And he writes me a check for 3 or $4 million. Otherwise, it would be very expensive for you to pursue it legally. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't at this point. I don't think it would... You're going to end up with five, ten, seven years of fighting it, you, you know, and, and it would mean more to me if, if the company itself or the man himself were to say, Johnny Bruce was not a bad guy. He's one talented individual, and he had really did a lot for my company, and I want to do something for him. In a way, though, music has come full circle for you again because you are recently have brought your daughter in Shana. Yeah. And you have, I believe, taken a, a new lease on life with new writers. Yes. Tell us about that. Well, I decided when I did this album that I wanted to do, uh, let other people produce me and deal with other writers just to get something different and see what they would do with my vocal style. And... Uh, these two guys did a wonderful job. Excuse me. Uh, Lamar Thomas and his wife, Judy Thomas, wrote half the songs. And a kid named Greg Charlie did the others. And then Shauna wanted to record this time. So I said, you pick the song. And she, she didn't want to sing a love song with her dad. <laughs> so I cracked up and she said, well, I just don't feel comfortable singing a love song with your dad. I said, okay, sugar, you, you pick the song. And we'll do it. And she picked the uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire tune. That's the way of the world. And I don't think she could have made a better choice because the results are just so beautiful. It came out wonderful. So you just laid back and allowed other people to do it. And you just... Hardest thing I ever did in my career <laughs> <laughs> was to stay at home and let someone else take charge of my career without interfering creatively. That was the hardest thing I had to do. Is that no direction that you think you'd like to go in? I think that's part of the direction, but I think <clears throat> uh, I have something to offer that I know is Johnny Bristol's style that I don't think anyone else can capture 100%. So if I can get someone that I can work with where, who would accept my little 10% input, then I think that that would make the difference in whether or not it, it pleases the audience that has always bought my material and said, we like what you do. Because they'll hear that 10% of me, but they'll hear that expansion of someone else giving me the other 90% of a new direction. But they, I think that would be great. But isn't that in itself a difficult thing? Because you're such a consummate craftsman. You have such an incredible track record. The person who's going to come along that will be able to show you something new there are not many people that can do that, is there? I can only say, answer that by saying that it will have to be a person who is 
as confident within themselves creatively as I am, who is not intimidated by my track record, and who feels that they, uh, they feel that they can hear something in my voice that they can do something with even better than what I've done. If that person comes along with that kind of confidence, uh, I think it could just go crazy. But if he comes in and they're intimidated by me and my track record, not me as a person, <clears throat> excuse me, but my history, because that has been a part of my experience, the guys come in and say, oh, John Brewster, man, you have done some of the greatest stuff I love, which is tremendously complimentary. But in them trying to be the producer or the writer, it, it causes me to be concerned because I don't want them to stand in awe of what I've done. I want them to be enthused by what they feel they can do and say you are an inspiration maybe that thank you very much but let me show you what I'm going to do for you <laughs> if I were to ask you to name six of the things that you are most proud of could you give me a number one to six now is that in music or is that in my life period your musical life period my musical life period uh, my first number one record, excuse me, that I produced, well, the first record I ever produced that was a hit, my number one record that I produced that was a hit. Can you name them as well, just for the record? Uh, the first record I did was Junior Walker and uh, what does, uh, How Sweet It Is. That was a real thrill as a producer. It's my first record and it's a big hit. Uh, Someday We'll Be Together on the Supremes went to number one. Uh, well, it went to number top, it was top ten and that was a thrill. Then Sunday it went to number one and that just blew me away. Was it true, incidentally, that that tune was offered first to Junior Walker? No. Because I read that somewhere, that he uh, passed on it, and Dan Rusk and the Supremes got it. <laughs> no, he, he wanted to pass on what does it take. Uh, he didn't want to do it. But <laughs> he, <laughs> he finally did it, and it turned out to be a double gold record for him. Okay, I'm sorry. Go no, um, so where was it? One, two, did I get to three yet? And... Uh, then me began starting as an artist, and my first recording was a hit. That was a big thrill. And to have four records in the top ten at the same time in the same year was a big thrill. Uh, to be nominated for Grammys in two different categories was a big thrill. Um, those are the biggest moments, I think, uh, in, in, in the music industry. But if you talk about me as a man, then we have to go somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> What about music as you see today? How do you see the contemporary music that's around you today? Uh, some of it I like, but most of it I find that I'm disappointed with because they've sold out to uh, what is marketable. And, and that is generally something that is gutterable, you know, something that is from the gutter. It's, it's easy to be, uh, it's almost like uh, producing adult movies, you know, triple X. They're producing triple X uh, CDs, triple X, uh, whatever. And then there are people who are going to buy adult movies as there are people who are going to buy what I call adult music recordings. But I find the guys who turn out to be legends, who turn out to be, uh, make a contribution to the history of music, are the guys who don't sell music out, who don't cheapen music, who don't go for the buck who go for quality and say, if I do my best, then the best will bring me money. 
as opposed to saying, well, let me write some dirt, and I can make some bread. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know it's, it's, I just can't sell, sell out what has been good to me, and music has been good to me. And, you know, I am music in my heart. And, and to, to be unfaithful to her would be like cheating on your wife. And I just don't want to do that. You just heard Johnny Bristol from part one of a three-part history of Motown. Join us again next week for part two featuring Junior Walker. Thanks for listening to Riffin Radio with Dermot Hussey. Be sure to like us and subscribe. We put out a podcast a week. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram at R-I-F-F-I-N Radio, Facebook, Dermot Hussey, and check out our YouTube channel, Riffin Radio.